0: Welcome to a community of students, teachers, and preachers who are on a journey to teach the Bible in a manner that serves and builds the church of both today and tomorrow. Join us as we go behind the scenes to learn from established teachers whose unique stories will inspire you to take action to better prepare, better communicate, and better equip the church. This is the Better Bible Class Podcast. Welcome to the Better Bible Class Podcast, where everything we talk about is building the church both today and tomorrow through Better Bible Class. Today we have Cliff Saber with us, and Cliff is going to walk us through how he prepares and studies to deliver a better Bible class, how he challenges those in his audience, who he draws his motivation from, and most interestingly, how there's a connection between Jujitsu and Jesus. Here is our conversation with Cliff. Cliff, thank you for joining appreciate you giving up your time to do this, but just as we start through, give us a little insight on who you are, where you're at, and what you're doing at this time.
1: Well, I'm the pulpit minister, the preaching minister for the West Visalia Church of Christ in Visalia, California. We're smack dab in the central part of the state. I'm married to Zinni. We've been married for 18 years. We have six children, all under the age of 16 right now, so we have a a busy household. Been working with the church University Brazil for a while, like I said. i have been involved in preaching there and teaching and working with our Bible camp and our outreach and different programs. I'm also try to be pretty busy in the community doing different activities. I'm involved in Brazilian jiu jitsu, which gets me to get to meet a lot of people from many different backgrounds and introduce them to the church and to Bible study. And I enjoy good Bible study, so I'm excited about the opportunity to talk about having a better Bible class.
0: Oh, that That's very interesting. And so wh- a lot of your activities, whether it's Bible camp or jujitsu, and then uh, obviously your preaching ministry, they all kind of relate
1: around teaching aspect. Am I understanding that correct? Yeah, I, I mean, I do. I teach the kids program there at jiu-jitsu. I also help teach the adult class. Um, most of the roles that I'm in in life, I like being in a teaching position. I don't know if I fancy myself a teacher, but it seems like over the years, that's where I've fallen into and I enjoy doing it. I often feel like maybe I can explain things in a simple way or or a way that relates to the audience better. I don't always have the deepest um, study or the greatest mastery, but I I believe that, I don't know, just how I can relate to the audience, it kind of helps me sometimes break things down in a way that everybody understands.
0: When you're preparing a lesson, how do you cater what you cover
1: Well, way back when, when I was at preaching school at the Bear Valley Bible Institute, I remember an instructor by the name of Warren Wilcox, who's passed on to his eternal reward by now, but um, he would talk about that you need to develop a homiletic habit. And the idea of a homiletic habit is you look at everything through the lens of how can I teach this topic? So I think just naturally being a preacher... When I look at something, when I'm reading an article, when I'm studying a subject, I'm always thinking in the back of my mind, whether you know consciously or subconsciously, how can I explain this to someone else? So, how can I condense all this material that I am looking at in a way that others can, you know, understand it? Now, maybe that's to the dismay of some people. My family might get frustrated or annoyed a little bit because I'll listen to a podcast and I'll immediately find somebody in the family and having six children, it makes it easy to find somebody and say, hey, did you know this? And I'll try to explain it to them because I like trying to take and what I've studied and express it to someone else in a way that they can understand. So I guess that homiletic habit has allowed me to Look at everything through the lens of teaching. So not my own personal growth, but everything I read, everything I study is how can I share it with someone else.
0: Interesting homiletic. What what does that mean? That sounds like a fancy. I guess I threw out a
1: fancy word word there. Um, I believe an idea of a homily is like a speech, and homiletics is the science behind public speaking. So uh, oftentimes a public speaking course or a preaching course specifically, or um, will be titled homiletics when I get up there and preach, I'm giving a homily. The process of learning how to preach was the study of homiletics.
0: You automatically filter information coming in on how you're going to efficiently condense that down and communicate the key core concepts?
1: Yeah, I guess that's what it is. it's funny, I haven't really articulated that thought before too much, but in my mind, thinking through how I look at everything, yeah, absolutely, that's what I do. I'm always thinking, okay, what can I filter down out of this? What are the bullet points that I want to give any particular audience, whether it be the Sunday morning assembly of a couple hundred people or whether it be explaining what I just read to my 16-year-old son who might be struggling or working through different things in life that I want him to understand from what I've just read or even teaching you know, in Jiu-Jitsu. How do I break this down in a simple way that someone with not much background knowledge of the subject will still be able to understand?
0: When you're preparing for a class, do you pull out just specific things from a text or are you just trying to unload everything you see?
1: I think it depends a little bit. So if I know ahead of time that I'm going to be teaching, let's say teenagers, I'm going to filter what I'm preparing, what I'm studying in my mind through the lens of what do I think a teenager needs to hear. Uh, If I'm teaching a class of married adults i'm going to be maybe in my mind thinking about okay what are the struggles that married adults have what are some of the questions that they're ans- asking since i'm you know uh, married i'll be thinking what are some of the questions that i have what are some of the issues and problems that i have to work through as a as a husband my wife has to work through uh, as a wife or as a mother and then i start looking at it through that way and not necessarily forcing the text into that lens but The Bible, as you study any particular passage, will relate to different groups in different ways. The message is universally applicable, but what grabs you from a particular passage relates to, you know, whatever situation you're in. You know, when I read the book of of 1 Timothy, I automatically see it through the lens of a preacher trying to help a church be godly because Timothy's a preacher. He's working with a church that's primarily an older audience, and I see myself there because I'm a preacher and I work with a church that primarily has people older than me, whereas someone else reading that book might not see themselves as Timothy. They might see themselves as that person that Timothy's talking to, or they might see themselves as that widow that he's talking about in the book or, or that man that he's talking about in the book. So you have to take into consideration your audience. At the same time, the challenge, especially since you, I know this is about better Bible classes, is many times our Bible classes aren't just pointed to one, you know, specific group of people. You know, we try to divide them up maybe by age group, but that's not always the most, you know, effective. Um, so if I'm teaching a class, let's say to everybody in the congregation, I have to force myself to try to the best of my limited ability to look at the text, look at the material. Through those different lenses. Okay, what would a mom see right here? What would a divorced person see right here? What would a person who's thinking about getting married see right here? What would a person who's about to go into a long term care facility see right here? What about that person who is a new Christian to that person who's an elder in the church? I mean, you have to look at it from many different angles.
0: And so when you are teaching and preparing for a class that has a mixed audience, do
1: you try to just hit a little bit for everybody, or do you focus on one group? It sometimes depends on the material that I'm teaching. Some books of the Bible are a lot more relevant to specific groups or applicable to some specific issues uh, more so than another book. Now, I'm not denying the universal applicable nature of scripture. I believe, you know, everybody can grow and learn from it, but there's certain books of the Bible or sections of scripture that do a very good job addressing maybe one or two groups that might be in that audience. So I do let the scripture itself direct me into who I am going to be addressing um, with a passage. You know, if I'm going through a passage. Let, let's just say something simple. Like I'm going through the book of Titus, and here he lays out qualifications for church elders. Well, that obviously is not going to directly apply to an elementary age, you know, little girl who's, you know, in sixth grade. It doesn't. It doesn't relate to him. So I will direct the, you know, the the text or the the class to, you know, the the particular group that it might relate to. But I'll also always try to pull something out that could be applicable to everyone. So maybe as I'm working through the text, we'll discuss how, hey, although this is talking about specific qualifications for elders in a church, um, these are um, character traits that God holds very highly. And it doesn't matter who you are, what age you are, if you're male or female, the idea of being able to teach somebody, which is a qualification of an elder, is something that all Christians should have. So I never want any group of the audience to tune out From the text just because it's not addressed directly to them. But at the same time, I want to be careful that I don't force application that isn't there, which I think that's kind of a tightrope you have to walk sometimes as a student of the Bible.
0: So what would be some examples when we do force application? Or is that where we would be bringing our baggage into uh, scripture or like getting into a proof text
1: situation? Yeah, you, you see this a lot. Um, you see it a lot with um, even um, class materials and course books that are out there. If you were to just do a Google search, let's say you were wondering um, Bible verses about depression. okay? So you look them up and you'd probably come across a website or two that had a topical index of verses. And on at face value, if you were to just look at those verses, you would think, oh, this verse applies to my specific situation. But when you start reading the verses around it and looking at the immediate context of why it was written, who it is written to, the background of you realize, oh, this verse isn't isn't talking at all about what what I thought it was talking about. This doesn't apply to me in any sense, uh, you know, of the situation. Um so a couple e an easy one to kind of see is, you know, a common one I've heard a lot was um was it, Matthew chapter 18, uh, verse 20, where it talks about where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am also. I heard so many times people apply that to a small worship assembly. And hey, that makes sense. That applies to me. There's only two or three of us gathered together and worshiping God. And that verse says that God's there with us. Well, when you start reading that passage, he's not even talking about worship. He's talking about rebuking a person who's in sin, but yet we tried to make it apply to everybody. So we put a spin on it, which that's bad teaching. And it could even be false teaching. when you do that, I think you also have to allow the audience to direct you into the application that they're seeing. And that's why I'm, I'm a proponent of discussion in a class setting, not lecturing. Now most audiences will gladly let you lecture and most preachers like I'm doing right now will gladly lecture you. Um, but we have, we need to let the audience direct you as a teacher into making the right application because maybe I open it up to the floor for discussion and someone raises their hand and says, Hey, does this talk about or apply to this particular situation? And all of a sudden you're like, yeah, it does. I didn't see that before because that person might be looking at it through the lens of their own life. And all of a sudden the word of God's living and active and it can connect with them on a different way that maybe me and my particular life situation didn't pull out of the text. Not forcing anything, not proof texting, but just because I'm not in their situation, I wasn't asking those questions of the text. And because I allowed the audience to participate, they showed me as the teacher how this could apply to their specific situation. That can spiral out of control pretty quickly, can't it? Yes, it can. Um, Every class sometimes has a Curtis Pittman in it that likes to (laughs) cause cause problems or put the teacher on the spot. And you kind of have to be prepared For that, Um, I haven't had too many situations over, you know, a very long time now. It sounds weird to say a long time, but a long time of teaching where I felt like things got out of control and I just had to shut things down. And really off the top of my head, I can't even think of a specific one where I was, oh man, that was an awful, that was a bad idea. Sometimes you'll have comments that are off the wall. Um, Sometimes you'll have questions that don't relate at all to what you're talking about. And as a teacher, you need to be patient and kind to your class. You know, when you get home later, you can tell your wife about how dumb the questions were that people were asking. But um, in the class, you never want to make a a student feel like they are. You don't want to ridicule anybody. You don't want to shame anybody. So I always try to, if someone asks a question or makes a comment that's that doesn't relate, in my mind as they're talking, I'm thinking, how can I spin this in some way and answer it in some way or restate their question in a way that at least has some kind of semblance of relation to the material that we're covering? There's been times where I've had to say, you know, I really don't think it's dealing with that, but let me talk to you more afterwards about it because I want to go in a little bit of a different direction, but I think you bring up some good points. You know, I might do something like that, but you'll be surprised how how, what insight your audience does have, and it forces them to engage when you're making them think for themselves as opposed to just telling them, here's how this applies to you, forcing them to make that application. So,
0: you've mentioned uh, on a few different
1: occasions that
0: you go back to the text, go back to the text, go back to the text, you redirect back to the text. So, how do you? study and prepare mentally to to understand the text or at least be familiar enough with it to direct the conversation back to the text?
1: Well, uh, backing up for a second, I try to primarily only teach exegetically. Now, there's another fancy word that, again, don't just use that around your audience because they don't like those fancy words sometimes, but it just means to pull out of a text, it means to read the Bible the way that it was meant to be read. It's a Greek word "ek," meaning out. I believe it's like a which means to guide out. So, as an exegetical study, I'm trying to guide out of the Bible what the Bible wants to have guided out of it, reading it the way that it was meant to be read. So, I always, I mean, I I will fight tooth and nail against you know working through a workbook or or teaching topically about a subject. I mean, I might offer a a class or two about a particular subject if it's an issue that we're going on, but you'll never find me teaching a class on 20 ways to be a strong Christian with a thousand different verses. I like working through a book particularly, or at least a section of a book. So if I were to, let's say, uh, I'm planning on teaching a book on, or a class on the book of, of Titus, what I would do is I would sit down and I would Read through the book of Titus uh, multiple times. Uh, I look for key words in the book. I look for statements of purpose. I look for times that there's prayers in the book. And this could be a whole other, um, you know, podcast I'm sure about how to study the Bible. But I look for petition verbs, and and I try to be able to through my Bible study answer the question: What does the text say? What does it mean? And then what does it mean to me? And then when I present that material to my audience. By the end of a class, and the way we do classes um, here at the church where I'm working, we do 13-week quarters usually. What my goal is by the end of that class session, by the end of the 13 weeks, is because we've worked through the text, an entire book of the Bible in a very consistent and uniform and logical way, my goal is that when we get to the end of the book, they can tell you how the last verse related to the first verse. They can tell you how the, the third chapter connects to the seventh chapter, and they might not understand every teaching that's in there. They might not understand every word or every theological point being made, but they can at least tell you where the author is going. In the case of Titus, they could understand the point that Paul is making and why he's preaching it and you know how that connects to Titus and the church in Crete. And everything there. I just want them to look at books as a whole and see how they connect as an entire unit, and not just a bunch of disconjointed verses. Which we have a tendency to kind of look at the Bible as a lot of verses, um, in opposed to looking at it as you know entire units like letters and and books and anthologies.
0: So where did you develop this exegetical mindset and um, in, in your teaching?
1: Well, I will start off by saying I'm not an expert in it at all, and I had to be taught it because uh, many of the ways that I saw lessons being done and the way I prepared my early preaching, I'm talking in late teenage years, that kind of thing, even before any formal training, was, okay, here's something I want to talk about. Where's a verse that fits it? Uh, maybe I would come up with some kind of alliteration in my mind. All right, we're going to look at the three Ps of Christianity, prayer, preach, and proclaim, or something. And then I'd find a verse that fit each one, and I'd call it a good sermon, and everybody pat me on the back and say, good job, and it wasn't. Um, But I was blessed to sit, you know, at the feet of some pretty amazing Bible students. Um, Brother Denny Petrello, um, who has written books on Bible study, Um, Dan Owen as well, are two men that have really shaped my own approach to Scripture. Also reading um, books about exegesis, which oftentimes are recommended by Dr. Petrello and Dr. Owen, uh, books by guys like Walter Kaiser or D.A. Carson. These are books that help me see that the Bible is meant to be understood as a whole, or at least individual books are meant to be understood that way. But I would say the way I learned exegesis the most is being in classes with guys like Dan and Denny and just seeing how they work through a text. And then I have different preaching peers that do the same thing, and I, I watch how they work through a passage. And once you learn to read the Bible that way, you can quickly filter out poor, Bible study habits from good ones. And, you know, I'll be listening to maybe a podcast or reading a book and I'll say, Oh, here's a person who gets it. They're showing it in a way and it makes sense. And, and your audience, although they might not know it early on, they will start to get it too, because we don't read any other book the way we often read the Bible. We, we chop up the Bible. We, we disconnect ourselves from the Bible. We look at it as just a bunch of bullet points. But if I were to read a letter from somebody, I'm not going to just start in the middle. If I were to read a, a storybook, even, I'm not going to just start at the end. I'm going to want to see how it all flows and see the themes that are going through it and read it that way. For some reason, as a society, we have a tendency to just read the Bible the wrong way. And as a Bible class teacher, I'm just trying to help people read it the way it was meant to be read.
0: Have you seen growth uh, among your congregation or your church uh, in that aspect?
1: I have, and it, and it took time. Um, When I first started in a full time public teaching role, um, as sometimes overzealous young preachers do, I came in guns a blazing, ready to change everything about how people were studying. And I tried to wow the audience, maybe with big words like, all right, I'm going to teach you how to do exegesis. And here's all this kind of stuff. And here's Greek words with this and that. And I think that turned people off at first as, oh, this is too complicated. I can't understand it. But I backed away from that. And now what I do is I just show the exegetical work that I have done as I'm teaching through a class. So I, I just finished preaching through the book of 1 Corinthians, and that wasn't even a class. That was a sermon series. But as I introduced the book, I talked about the struggles of division in the church, because the book of 1 Corinthians is about a church that's divided. I talked about the history of division in our own religious you know, climate in our, our community here in Visalia. I talked about how the, how that can divide a church and how it makes hurt feelings and all these problems. And then I showed how in the book of 1 Corinthians, I came to this conclusion because, hey, look at these repeated words. Look at these phrases that are used. Look at the arguments Paul makes over and over again. Look at this turning point in the book right here. I showed my conclusion and how I got there without Showing them all the work I did. I don't want to show off the work I did. I want to show them the finished product. And when they see the finished product, then they start asking, how would you get there? How would you form that conclusion? And then you can train and then you can show. Um, You know, my wife likes to have different projects sometimes for me to do. A while back, and I'm not a talented woodworker, as I know you are, Curtis. But she wanted me to build a bench in our kitchen. And I thought, I can't do that. I don't know what I'm doing. And she showed me a picture of the bench that she wanted made. And I thought, you know, maybe I can do that. So that spurred more interest in me to look at the instructions. And then she showed me the blueprints of how the bench was made and how they've made this wood bench for a farmhouse table. I thought, okay, I see how they formed that conclusion. I see how they did this. I now believe I have the ability looking at the finished product and looking at the process to make it happen. So I want my audience to, to see the finished product and then be motivated to do that study you know themselves. You asked about, too, um, I kind of got off topic a little bit. What are some of the ways I try to get people to show this study? I look for easy ways. Um, one of the things that's really helped me a lot in teaching people how to do good Bible study is give them something hands-on that they can do right there in the audience. So what I've liked to do over the years is maybe print off a book of the Bible and have them work through it, or even something simple. And I've done this with my children, is i will say, Hey, I want you to go to the book of Philemon, and I want you to underline every time the word Lord is used. Okay, now I want you to look at how many times this word is used. And just by having people do keyword searches, all of a sudden you'll have members. You know, I've had, you know, 80-year-old little old ladies come up to me and say, hey, I noticed that this word is repeated. Because it doesn't matter what level of Bible study you are, you can notice repeated words. And words that are repeated a lot are words that are important to the one who's, who's saying them. And that's a way to help people kind of understand the text.
0: Yeah, so then your experience and your suggestion, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but would be spend time with these great teachers or, or ones that are ahead of you, if you will, so that you can pick up on the way that they teach, the way that they prepare,
1: the way that they study. Am I understanding that correctly? Even when you look at the disciples, they asked Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray. And he showed them how he He was praying. You're not going to just learn how to study the Bible necessarily from a course book. But when you find people that know how to study the Bible, latch on to them, consume their material, read what they've written, listen to their lessons. And it's one of those things that it's best to have shown to you versus taught to you. I learned exegesis by seeing people exegetically work through a book. And then after that, no other method made sense anymore because this was—and I don't even like saying that it's a method. It's just the logical way of reading a book. It's reading the Bible the way that it was meant to be read. It's trying to unearth the original message for the original audience, whereas we have a tendency to jump to what's the message for Cliff Sabro in the year 2020. And I know that you have
0: spent some time with the in-depth, kind of rigorous study and teaching prep through preaching school. Uh, where, where can a lay teacher be be exposed
1: to these men? Well, what's neat about guys like that is they put out a lot of material for free because they're passionate about Bible study. I, I believe Dan Owen has GlobalPreacherTrainingCenter.com where you can listen to his um, undergrad and graduate level courses on different books of the bible even if you don't have a, a working knowledge of the original languages like greek and stuff don't be overwhelmed when they start quoting those words you can follow along and see how they work through a text i know um denny petrello has materials on i think it's com is their website and also world video bible school i believe has even some of these gentlemen's class materials there and i think if you look on amazon and some things like that they have a few books or commentaries That they have written which is funny because both of them are adamantly against commentaries because they think they're a crutch to people but they said besides ours our commentary is good (laughs) um but there's some materials out there if you do some digging and then also some good books um walter kaiser's book toward an exegetical theology that's a very good book for especially um, preachers and teachers on how to um, put together um, lessons and to look at the bible the correct way and then um d.a carson has some good material on, I believe, like exegetical fallacies and some others, and that's another book that's common that you can find. Um, And then once you find an author that has an exegetical approach to scripture, start looking at who are they quoting? Who are the books that they're referencing? So when I was looking at a lot of Dan Owen material and Dan Patrell, I noticed, wow, they quote a lot of Jack P. Lewis. So then I started buying a bunch of Jack P. Lewis books. And with, you know, DA Carson was quoting Walter Kaiser. And, you know, you start kind of seeing who are these guys that are shaping the Bible study habits? What books are a lot of these people going back to? Wow, they're going back to a book I believe it's by Mortimer Mortimer Adler called How to Read a Book. And, you know, gather your own bibliography in your mind of of resources that you can use and it'll help you with your Bible study. With the two, my goal is not to Yes, it is, but it isn't the teach the audience exegetical work. I don't want them to have to see all of the work that went in there. I want them to just see the finished product and know that the design is there. So with a class, I don't want to spend all the time showing how I, you know, looked at all these different Greek words and parsed them in the original language. I might show a couple little gems that are neat. I might not show them every time a word is used and how it relates back to this or that. I'll I'll give little nuggets here and there throughout the class as we work through it but with the goal of allowing the Bible to change their lives and uh, a quote I've heard before and it didn't start with me I Wesley Walker always said it back in the day but I don't think he came up with it either um was the Bible's not just for information but for transformation and you got to be careful because when you become an exegetical nerd sometimes you want to just show the information to people but again the ultimate goal of our Bible classes and our sermons is to change lives and we have to be careful that we don't get too bogged down in showing the design elements as opposed to the life-changing ability of it. Um, I watched a movie a while back on Apple and Steve Jobs, and they were, the movie talked a lot about all the design that went into some of these Apple products, especially some of the early computers um, like the the Lisa and the Apple II and some of these things and how neat they were and how a lot of the engineers were trying to show off all of the tech that went behind the scenes to make it happen. But what made Apple sell so well a lot of times was Steve Jobs' ability to get up there on the stage and show how cool it was and how it was going to change their lives. He didn't talk about all the different design that was there. When you listen to the keynote addresses that he did, he doesn't spend all the time talking about the A5 chip and the different silicon parts in it, but he shows how fast it was at making like a FaceTime call to your grandma. He showed how it related to the audience, and that's what wanted, made people want to buy that product.
0: And so that goes back to your point earlier on application to either let the yeah. uh, audience direct you towards the what is applicable to them and what they need, or you have identified what you believe is applicable,
1: anticipating the needs of the audience, and you know I don't want to ramble on about computers, but that's what made Apple so cool is they knew what people wanted before people knew what they wanted, and all of a sudden everybody got an iPod
0: Translate that to our Bible study uh where we can know what people need maybe before they need it.
1: Yeah, know your audience, know your community, know the people you're working with, and you can anticipate the questions that they really have. They might not articulate them. They might be afraid to ask them, but through our Bible classes and study of it, we can direct people to those conclusions that they really needed to hear, even if they were afraid to ask them or articulate them. Um, One thing I didn't mention, and I don't want to leave it without it too, is always show your audience why they need to listen to the material that you're presenting. I've had to train myself to do this, is I want to go right into the introductory material of the book of Matthew and talk about the fulfillment of prophecy, who's the author, where it was written, and all of that. But that doesn't mean anything to the audience unless you show them why they need to listen. So I would say at the beginning of any public teaching class or anything, you have to show the audience why they should be paying attention to you. And that requires sometimes presenting questions that are difficult. Maybe it means talking about something controversial. It could be forcing them to ask out loud some different questions that they're that they're struggling with. I have open my notes right here from my class on First Timothy. I remember when I did my second Timothy class, I asked the audience, I said, Hey, I want you to divide up into groups and I want you to list five reasons why you think preachers quit. All of a sudden, they had to think about, why would a preacher quit? Why would a preacher leave a church? And then we went into, why was Timothy maybe thinking about quitting? When I taught through 1 Corinthians, I made everybody uncomfortable by specifically talking about the history of division in the church that we were in. But that that tension made them go, okay, this is why we need to listen to this because this is immediately applicable to me. Sometimes people show statistics. Here's some statistics on marriage and why people are, their marriages are ending in divorce. Well, if you're talking to a group of married people, that might catch your interest because they don't want to get a divorce. If I'm teaching Brazilian jujitsu and I'm talking to the kids, this last week I was demonstrating a chokehold, which to your audience, that might sound weird that I'm teaching kids <laughs> how to choke each other. But I said, hey, this choke that I'm showing you, Coach Owen over here, he's my son, I said, he won at international levels with this choke right here. That's why you need to be like, ooh, I want to learn this move that might make me beat people at the international level. So you have to show the why with teaching or preaching, the introduction, the application and the conclusion are the hardest parts of the lesson. And that usually for most preachers, we're nerds. We skip over those and get right to the meat of the matter. But if you don't do a decent job telling the audience why they should pay attention and how they can apply it, the lesson will just go over their heads. It'll just be another lecture.
0: Wow. Well, I think there you have it. That is our challenge as Bible class teachers to show our audience why this is applicable to them and also guide them on ways to apply it in their daily lives. As we strive to build the church both today and tomorrow through better Bible class You may come upon different questions or different strategies that you're curious about or things that you have found to be successful. Please do not hesitate to contact us. Send us your questions, your challenges, your curiosities at BetterBibleClass.com. And if you believe this concept brings value, please subscribe and share with one person today, right now, via text or email. Again, send your questions, your challenges, your curiosities to us at betterbibleclass.com and continue to join us as we work to strengthen the church of both today and tomorrow on the next Better Bible Class. Podcast.